You're listening to The Photography Show. This is episode number 18 for April 8th, 2011, Holger Projects. Yeah, you know, you can make one with pantyhose. The big round circle? Mm-hmm. The popper stopper. So <laughs> we're recording with video today. You can't see us, but we can see us. It's because uh, Wade's so good looking. Yes. You know? I, I requested that we stare at each other for an hour this time. Yes. On indeed. Skype. Hey, you know, we, we did get a lot of comments. Um, I didn't tell you this before we started rolling, but uh, we did get a lot of comments on the intense episode we did, la- what, like four months ago. Um, yeah, no, I was in a mood that day. Dude. I had to get some things off my chest. It was good. I mean, like, people were really like, yeah, way to go. They were they were pleased that we got kind of, you know, real kind of, about things. Kind of rowdy. Kind of rowdy. Kind of real. Kind, kind of, of this, this is the way it is. Yeah. Peeps. Kind of, here's how it goes. I yeah, don't know if we know, can we, be we more intense. We go through intense. our moods. Sometimes we get on here and we're feeling all lighthearted or things are going all... <laughs> Skippy dippy. <laughs> Other times you get on here and you kind of feel like voicing your opinion, which is what it's nice for. Yeah, I think we have a show uh, title now, Skippy Dippy. Skippy Dippy. But um, yeah, so uh, you know that's good to get off your chest. Hopefully your clients aren't listening. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but even so, if they are, I think it's good for clients to know um, sometimes how we feel as photographers. You know. Yeah. Well, I probably wouldn't tell that to them to their face. But well, you know what yeah. though? Damn it. <laughs> We're, we're already intense. You do have to stand up for yourself. And it's interesting. I saw an interesting interview um, oh, without going too much into the story. Uh, it was an interview with a musician that somebody had done on the web. And, and this guy was talking about how, you know, the music industry has had, uh, you know, problems with, you know, uh, you should be so grateful that we let you play for the door and, you know, this privilege. And he, he said something that was interesting. He said, you know, for whatever it is, whether it be graphic design, music, photography, you know, for whatever reason, the creative creative industry kind of seems to attract people that for whatever reason are a little bit, maybe less self-confident is the word or sheepish about things and and as a result we tend to get mode over a lot of times and you know of course not everybody's like that but unfortunately like that well there are so many people like that 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 it makes the business difficult sometimes was his point and uh you know you do have to stand up for yourself and you know whatever i think being an entrepreneur the ones that really succeed are the ones who um, can overcome that in one way or another and really do learn to stand up for themselves and really learn to promote themselves and say how they feel without offending everybody and and uh yeah that, you know, it's kind of like we were talking the other day uh, after we went to go see the Flashbus thing and we were sitting around about um, uh, being a good photographer or being a good creative or, or you know, whatever is, is, is all great. But the ones really succeed are the people, the people persons, the, 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 the creative that are really good with people as well as good at their craft. Right. Uh, I think that's super true. Oh, it ha- yeah, it has to be. I mean, that's – yeah. It's really hard. We just got a tweet. Um, I'm going to turn my phone off. Sorry. Oh. Uh, uh, Dr. Johnny Brown says, reading the book, The Contact Sheet from Ammo Books, edited by Steve Christ or Christ. It was recommended by at Wade Griffith. Okay, cool. Yeah, sweet. Um, awesome. Live tweets are not really part of the show. Wait, no, <laughs> I know. That's awesome. <laughs> Did you like that? I forgot to turn the phone Because we're not live, but if it <laughs> comes in, take it. If y'all could just time it just right. You never know when we're going to do a show, but <laughs> Sundays, Sundays are always uh, pretty, yeah. I love Sundays. I just got to say. Yeah. I, I tend to sleep late, things like that. I, I tend to do a lot of things that really I, nobody wants to hear about right now. But, uh, you know, it, it, along those lines, we, it has been a while since we've done a show, and we've both been pretty busy. And Wade just mentioned uh, we went to the, um, the Flash Bus Tour, the Dallas stop, last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was pretty dang cool, I got to admit. Um, how'd you feel about it, Wade? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That was a brain fart. Well, I was looking for um, something, and, and then I looked up, and <laughs> you were, like, looking off. I say something profound, and then you, know, you fell asleep. I thought we were dead. That was dead air. Huh? No, no, it was good. I, I, I really enjoyed it. First of all, I loved Joe McNally. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, he was awesome. And, yeah, he was, he was, he's very entertaining, just like on his uh, videos and stuff that I watch online and uh, his books and everything like that. He's just got a really good personality. He's really captivating, motivating. Well, one thing too, just to back up, if you don't know what the Flash Buzz is, we we Flash Bus. We've talked about it on here, and is it just flashbus.com? dot com? Yeah, it, it was. It's the flashbus.com, but I think on Twitter it's just 
flash bus. Okay. Well, if you're interested at all, basically it is a uh, it's two guys. Uh, uh, guy who runs the blog called Strobist, uh, David Hobby and Joe McNally, and they're basically doing this 29 city tour, and they actually have this pretty pimped out bus, which we did not see because it was being cleaned or something, but. Uh, but anyway, uh, they're kind of traveling around the country, and if they're a stop near you, it's it's like it was ninety nine bucks for the day, and yeah. it was so useful to me. I mean, it was so worth the money. I thought uh, I'll be the first to admit that flash has never flash photography has never been really one of my strong suits. I mean, I kind of goof around, and and I was really blown away. There was a lot for me to learn there, and I was really into it. It was uh, kind of very eye opening. And the other cool thing about it, like one of my big impressions, was that you know you have two guys that basically have two completely different approaches to flash photography, but the whole thing was kind of catered around using, um, you know, actual uh, hot shoe flashes that you'd use on a camera, but, you know, putting them on tripods and, you know, uh, configuring your shot that way. And they both have, you know, through all kinds of things, grids, softbox, umbrellas, uh, yeah. Just everything in the world, and stacking them together and shooting them from across the room. And it's also showing you the power that a small uh, transportable light can have. Yeah. Um, hey, wait. Know. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut down the video because you're breaking okay. up, and I don't know if. All right. Cool. Okay. No problem. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> All right. I will too. There we go. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think I think it's they're they're great both masters of uh, of light that way, and 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 they both also work with regular strobes and things like that. Uh, and, and they're both great with natural light, but I think that it's great as a photographer to be able to learn all these different kinds of, of light that are available to you. Sometimes you just have ambient available light available, and that's great to know how to work in that situation. If you're in a studio and you're working with strobes and big lights, um, controlled lighting, that's another great thing to master as a photographer. And then I think the third thing is being able to have this these uh, these small flashes which are super light and where you can really work by yourself and you can really take them out into the middle of the woods or, you know, they're just easy to transport anywhere. Uh, you're not having to work with big battery packs or anything that's heavy and, and learn how to use this kind of light. And that's what we were really learning that day. Um, yeah. But to have all, have, have a kind of a mastery of all these different kinds of light and, and, and they were talking about using all three together and, you know, in different scenarios. Yeah. I, I really was blown away. And if, if, if the, you don't, if you don't live in a city where they're going to be on, tour if you're not in the u.s or something uh do yourself a favor and at least i mean you know joe mcnally's got some dvds you can order and that you know they're not real cheap but the they're worth it the info that's on them uh and then david hobby has just if nothing else go look at the strobus blog i think it's just strobus.com and uh it'll flip you over to i think strobus.blogspot.com but uh anyway. right. joe mcnally has a has a book out the last one i bought was called the hot shoe diaries oh cool that's a great book. And then there's a book. He's he's affiliated with Nikon a lot. They both shoot with Nikon, so they're, they're, they are, they end up on Nikon videos and things a lot. But the same kind of things can apply to your Canon you know, stuff, too. Um, but the last DVD I watched of his was called A Hands-On Guide to Creative Lighting. And um, that, was, that had that guy that you just mentioned, David Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Christ. that the tweet mentioned. Bob yeah. Christ um, is a National Geographic photographer cool and, uh, he's on the video as well and and that dvd i probably picked up for about 30 bucks or something but that's most, very reasonable actually yeah yeah totally i've watched it time and time again you know um to to kind of learn how to master different scenarios well i was i was very blown away and both these guys have a definite method that they kind of if you go to the the show they will take you through um and you know david hobby comes out and his is totally you know, non-electronic, non-TTL. It's using your eye, understanding flash power reduction, things like that, and building the shot up. And he's got a method for that. And then uh, mm-hmm. McNally had a completely different approach. Both of them were very entertaining and very good. And you know, it was and, cool. Yeah, and and then, cool. You know, you're not going to learn all of this this stuff in in one day, of course. But what it does is it gets you more interested than you might have been the day before. Yeah, definitely. To, to start uh, to start buying some of this stuff and start experimenting with it and start reading more about it and and learning more. I know it's something I've devoted a lot of time to in the last couple of years um, because I'm a one-man show and I want to be able to travel light. Uh, um, Tyler Sharp was at our table, who's another uh, cool guy who's a photographer here in Dallas um, who happened to be at, at the show the same day. And he was kind of like, well, why would you really want to work with these small flashes when you could work with with uh, m- you know bigger controlled lighting? But And we were kind of trying to – or we were talking with him and saying, you know um, – 
I think the whole purpose behind it is that it is so portable and it is so light. Yeah. So when you're a one man, if, if it's me in a studio and I have other people, assistants and things working with me, great. I'd love to use big lights. Sure. sure. But when you're shooting out in the middle of the street or, you know, you're, you're, you're in the middle of a field or, or you're just, you have to be at somebody's, um, uh, lawyer's office and you're going to do a headshot. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to get all those lights and gear and all this heavy stuff, especially if you just want to keep your costs low and, and do this all by yourself. So, um, these, I can carry all my, uh, flashes in my camera bag. I have three flashes in my camera bag and then I can carry, um, all my stands and everything in one other bag I carry. So I'm carrying two bags total into any situation almost. And right. if I can't handle it with all that, with the small lighting, with the small flashes setups, then, um, then I get a studio or, or go from there, but then your costs start going up too. Sure. I mean, it, I was also struck. I was amazed. I mean, I remember the first time I heard of using, you know, hot shoe flashes and hmm. sink and whatnot. And, and uh, it was probably oh, 10 years or so ago. I bought a Nikon flash at the time. And they were talking about the Nikon creative lighting system. I remember my impression just in the manual never does a good sell anyway. But, uh, you know, they were talking about, um, you know, being able to do all these effects and all this creative control. And all. I thought, well, yeah, that's not how the pros do it. or what. But I really was amazed after coming back from this workshop of how powerful lighting system those can be i mean i guess the takeaway here is that you know when when hobby was out there talking about you know reducing power on on strobes that i mean you know nuclear power that if you shoot these on full blast all the time they're way overpowering anyway and so right. learning how to tame that and control it i was i was really amazed the other thing that was cool is you know i was reading the strobus blog later and i totally agree with the statement that he makes on there and, and i can't remember what page it was on but there was to some effect that he said that uh, you know as far as bang for your buck goes even if you go buy old manual flashes you're going to get so much more for your money than you are if you go buy a new lens or if you go buy an expensive body or anything like that and sure it, it man you really is you know uh, and you can turn like your apartment studio or whatever into a nice little studio that can handle most situations with like two or three flashes oh absolutely and a, a few different uh, soft boxes that you can shoot them through and umbrellas um, you know, this stuff is just, first of all, flashes are a ton cheaper than, sh- than sh- actual big strobes. Yeah, they are. Um, even the very best ones. And then, um, modifiers, uh, you start off with stuff like umbrellas, which are like 20 bucks instead of huge soft boxes for strobes, which are hundreds of dollars. Right, right. So, I mean, this is a lot about keeping your costs down too, but at the same time, I mean, Joe is, Joe is showing us on stage live how you can just shoot one. He shot like a, a professional headshot. Of an executive, and then he shot like um, a sports guy, like doing jumps in the air. You know, uh, he was just showing one scenario after another of how you could do all these different types of setups, you know, right. on the fly, and uh, and it could be very effective and very professional. It was definitely um, cool stuff, man. I really had a good time. We also yeah. met Wilfredo, yeah, who uh, is is a big um, participant in the uh, Flickr forums. And uh, a nice guy. Uh, he's going to Brookhaven, doing uh, a little college stuff, learning. And uh, he's a big Michael Kenna fan, too, which is kind of cool. But he was fun to talk to also. It was- well, that was, it's always cool bumping into somebody who's like a fan of this show or, or whatever. It kind of always it blows us away that anybody listens to this at all. <laughs> True. But when, like when, he, when he overheard our names, uh, there was someone else there from Twitter or whatever that that we're friends with you know, online. And they came over to our table and, and introduced themselves. And so we heard our heard our, us introduce ourselves and then he he came over afterwards and was a super nice guy and said that he listens to these podcasts all the time and how much he really appreciates them and seemed to be very genuine about it and very excited about it um and i think he was at that show because we had mentioned it a few weeks ago that we you know that we had mentioned this flash bus tour and uh so he had bought a ticket to it travels that, fast so. yeah. yeah yeah so that's always really cool and he was a super nice guy so well, it is That's a cool thing, and I, I always love stuff where, I mean, you know, when you, we deliver this podcast over the internet, so most of you know us through the internet, and it's it's always cool to have something that brings everything more personal, um, you know, yeah, whether it's like a meetup or whatever. And, and, yeah, both Tyler, who was there, and that other guy, Kevin Hale, who we met, both yes. of them have just, I've met online and then ended up meeting in person, but I can't tell you how many times that kind of thing has happened in the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's nice. It just brings the world kind of closer to you, uh, we were talking about that too. How um, it, it's really a better thing than than when we didn't have the internet because you meet all these people you would never have met before. Yeah, and, right. you, and, and a lot of times, if you do have a lot in common or you do, or you know, do kind of hit it off, you you do end up meeting each other at a coffee shop or at a you know convention or or something. You know, and uh, it, that's that's a pretty cool deal. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, you yeah. never know. It's uh, well, and, and uh, Tyler is an interesting guy, and we've actually talked about maybe getting him on the show sometime. But uh, you know him through Flickr, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he was a show listener, but uh, but still, I mean, just the same. I have so many Flickr friends that I've met, and it's <laughs> it's so yeah, weird, but yeah, it's very I, cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's you know, and I, I think another important if, if you haven't had that opportunity, I mean, one, be social on Flickr, leave comments for people, friend people, things like that. But I think also joining even local groups. You know, I mean, when we first got on there, we joined. Like, was it, we've talked about this before, but there was a Dallas group that we joined, and we met a whole bunch of people through that. DFW, um, uh-huh. yeah, the DFW group, and and it's it's just kind of cool to get to know people. I mean, you know, and everybody's kind of at a different stage of learning. I mean, you meet some people who are kind of you know just starting out, and then you meet people who are like seasoned pros that that love to talk and share their knowledge and impart it on people. And, and it's really fun to see where people's careers go too, because when I first yeah. got on Flickr, I had just started photography, and the first Flickr meetup that I went to with the DFW group, I had my Holga. And my uh, Polaroid and stuff like that with me and um, 35 millimeter film camera and stuff like that. And I really was just at the very beginning stages. And so were a lot of the other people there. And I know two or three people that just from that DFW group that have since started their own businesses just like I have. Yeah, that's cool. Um, some have still kept their full-time jobs. Some have quit their full-time jobs. And um, one girl I know just finished uh, building a studio onto her house and is and has quit her um, her full-time job and, and is um, you know going into to full-time portrait photography uh, as we speak and just stuff like that. And, and she yeah. was just a, a beginner too, just a, just a few years ago. Yeah, it's so. also interesting to see how people like. Uh, well, improve, but styles change and stuff like that too. I yeah, it was interesting. I just got a comment from somebody not long ago on there when I when I first got on Flickr. This is back in like 2005 or so. Uh, I started a group for Diana cameras, you know, the little plastic mm-hmm. stuff in the 60s. And uh, somebody had mentioned on there, you know, I mean, you know, unfortunately in community websites you have somebody who likes to troll. And somebody got in there and well, this group seems to have lost its way. It allows the new Lomo cameras on there. And it's like who cares, you know? But anyway, I, I somebody had jumped. In and, and they were talking about, you know, this group was started back when there was kind of this resurgence in the popularity of toy camera photography. And, it, you know, that was definitely a big trend back then. And there's people that I know that used to do that exclusively who have, like, I think that was kind of their segue. They really got into photography on that note. And yeah. now they, you know, do all this other stuff and, and uh, really have improved as photographers. And that's fun to see, too. You know, it's kind yeah, of like I, classmates. I think that's a great you know? way to start. I mean, I recommend to people even today to start uh, with your Holga or Diana or some kind of square format, uh, cheap plastic camera or cheap 35 millimeter camera. And um, because you just learn so much starting there. And yeah. then when you're ready to kind of move forward to the next thing, being able to do that but kind of seeing uh, it just it just helps train your eye so much to start with something sure. that's so simple as looking through a square you know and uh and and learning composition and things like that and and um, just starting very simply and then moving moving onward and upward but um, that's one thing i liked about you know the days when i used to shoot on toy cameras all the time I mean, toy cameras if you're not familiar with the terminology i mean these were you know kind of Really, cameras that came out in the 60s that were designed to be toy cameras, and essentially they were made out of plastic, usually took medium format film, although there's some 35 millimeter and others as well. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, these could be anything from like the Kodak Brownie Hawkeye to the Holga to the Diana. The Holga, I think, came out in the 80s. But, you know, the whole idea is that these things had these kind of crude plastic lenses, and so you get an interesting effect a lot of times with these, and it's not perfectly sharp. It has blurs and weird imperfections. And, you know, some people really are not into that look, but, but, there is kind of a craze that people go for that type of shot. In fact, I know professionals who go shoot on Holgos every now and then. You know? They're very artsy. Yeah, very and that's, artsy, why, that's yeah. why, like, um, we, like, I kind of push the hipstamatic so much all the time. It's it's a digital version of right. uh, of all these toy cameras that I used to shoot with the actual thing, and now I can, like, on the fly in my hipstamatic kind of switch up the looks of a Holga lens or a Diana lens or a bunch of other crazy lenses that they come out with and film borders and different things like this. And then, But it's all it's all mimicking um, film. Yeah, and, and these, especially these plastic cameras, you know. Especially, yeah. It's mimicking light leaks, and it's mimicking, you know, lens flare and, and all yeah. these things. If you, you use know. Instagram, it has some similar presets in yeah. too. Yeah, they're very Except similar. of the two, I definitely am not. I, I don't know. I'm not wild about Instagram. 
I, I haven't. I just I started with that hipstamatic, and and I really like it, and so I just I I don't you know it's like once I find something that I really like, unless unless Instagram has something more to offer. Then well, Instagram I, has a service that that's the only way to post images, and I don't right. know. I'm just it's a walled garden, and I'm not. But See, with, I like I like uh, hipstamatic because not only does it seem to have more effects and more lenses and more kinds of different right. looks I can get, but then you can automatically post it to. You have the choice of not just posting it to the your Instagram site, but to uploading it to Flickr, Tumblr, Facebook. Yeah, uh, stuff Twitter. that's a little more useful, I think. But. Right. So you can you have you have more choices rather than just keeping it within the Instagram. Um, you know. You know, though, w- without. Uh, t- uh, blah, 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 blah. What was I going to say? It's one of those days, man. <laughs> oh, well, we were talking about the uh, the yeah. I've got some over there waiting for me. Um, we were talking about the uh, just using plastic cameras. The other cool thing, I mean, they do have the artsy look, and the one thing that I do recommend, actually, if you've never shot on a Holga, and I guess that's why I preach it so much, is there's so much to learn there because there's there's very little settings you have control of. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one shutter speed on a stock Holga. There's actually one aperture. There's a button that says you have two apertures, but tear your camera apart. I guarantee there's nothing in there. It's a Right. button um you know and the focus is all kind of relative but what it does is it trains you to kind of use your eye and learn how to see things but also kind of use your brain and learn how to use the camera in different situations so for instance you know uh, with a fast shutter speed and kind of a tight aperture you're not going to be able to shoot indoors well what could you do you can mount a flash to your holga you could use like 3200 iso film you could push process there's a lot of things you can do or if you're in really, really bright sunlight and you've got 400 speed film in the camera i mean i i have a little filter mount on my holga that i know that that's going to be too bright and i need to reduce it one or two stops depending on how cloudy or sunny it is so i can put either a red filter on it if i'm shooting black and white or an nd filter or something like that and anyway those kinds of things kind of really help you to understand photography and like the mechanics involved with getting a picture you know and like you said composition those will apply digitally later on but you're you're physically manually learning how to do them on your own yeah and then you understand more of the physics of it later when you're when it's going over to digital and it's not letting the camera do everything for you but actually you're you know learning how to do it yourself oh sure and the composition element even i mean there's no zoom lenses on these things the zoom is your feet right <laughs> go get closer yeah pull back uh and uh, that's important too i mean it's it's you really need to learn how to compose with a relatively wide angle lens sometimes they're weird focal lengths too they, they're just kind of not what you're used to working with and they can be really fun you know yeah, no, but it's a great place to start if you're just starting out. I'd say go buy a toy camera like a Holga right now. I say Holga mainly because uh, Holgas are very like consistent and they're easy to find. Yeah, uh, and they're not too expensive. Right, yeah. The Diana, the, every camera that's a Diana really can be different. They can also be collectible, and that's the problem because you get on eBay, and on a good day you might find one cheap, but on a bad day it's like, yeah, you find one going for $150 or something And stupid. where were we buying all of our Holgas from that guy that would modify them? Holga Mods. Holga Mods, yeah. Definitely recommend Randy. HolgaMods.com, right? Yeah. Has, That's the but, place to buy a Holga, and you can have him paint it for you. Dude's he insane. can soup it up for you to be all, all cool. <laughs> I bought like a Holga bag to put mine in. Uh, I've got the Holga Flash. I've got um, – uh, God, I've got, I've got two Holgas I bought from Randy, and one of them – one of them was his just stock Holga mod, but it had the works done to it. And it actually, he has a little thing where he inserts this pin, and you can do long exposures with it. Yeah. And uh, bulb exposures. And it also has a little, uh, what do you call it, um, oh, the little thing where you push the button, and there's a cable. and uh, Cable release, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a cable release that's mounted on it. And what I love about that camera is that I can go do night photography with my Holga. And I, I'll go do the math on the exposure time, and I'll sit and there. And you've taken I'll, some very cool... Uh, Scenes it may, it is fun to use, and, and yeah, and, and he's flocked the insides with black paint so you don't get a lot of the uh, light leaks and stuff like that. I'm not really a big fan of light leaks. A lot of people are, but anyway, but yeah, he's, he does great work, and I love that Holger. And then I bought a pin Holger from him also, which was a modified. They took the lens off, or he took the lens off and put a pinhole in there instead. And yeah. they're, they're fun cameras, man. I, I totally – and Holger mods, is, they're going to be the, kind of the next notch up in terms of spending money goes, but they are cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Randy does awesome work. He turns stuff around fast. It's and you'll weird. Get your Holga, you'll get your Holga just in a matter of days. It's Yeah, it's, it's a little nice. a little janky because it's just him doing it in his spare time. So it's kind of this weird, okay, here, put some money into PayPal, and I'll let you know if I got it kind of thing. <laughs> I've never had a problem with him. I mean, he's very no. uh, very good guy and, and very cool, and he'll even do weird special requests. And You can even buy um, 
Oh, it's not nearly as cool as actually using a Holga, and a lot of people do this, but but I bought some Holga lenses that are mounted onto lens caps that you can use on your Canon or Nikon, or mm-hmm. sell those too. Yeah. Um, so, I'm still yeah. more of a fan of, of the Holga itself too, just because of the whole aesthetic of it. I, I love loading the, yeah. the large format film, and um, yeah, especially if you can get these long exposures. That's something you can't do, like on your Hipstamatic. You can't get a long exposure. Yeah, um, the Hipstamatic is essentially tethered to the phone function on on your right, camera. Right, exactly. So it's just going to take a quick snapshot of whatever that is. But yeah, yeah that's that's one cool effect you you can you can only get on that using that Holga. But yeah, I'd say whether you're a beginner or not a beginner, if you've never experienced or played around with toy cameras at all, to, to do that because they're a lot of fun. Um, I, I used or I still like you know get some film and, and uh, load up my cameras and take some extra film if I go on like a camping trip or an outing just right. to have that that option with me. Um, you know, man, I'll, I'll tell you, from- here's the level of insanity and neuroticism that you can get with this. E- each one of these lenses kind of comes off the factory line a little different. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they all have a different look. At one point I had, Oh, well, I still do I have six Diana's in there and I actually had them labeled. So I knew which was which, and I would uh-huh. use the right camera for the right lens effect. <laughs> I was right. looking for. Yeah. The, you know, the, the hardest artists. part about all of that is, um, that we're not used to nowadays because we're all, you know, it's because of the digital age. We're so used to seeing our picture instantly and all this kind of right. thing is that you, you do have to slow down a little bit and get like, get your film developed or develop it yourself. And then if you want to show the stuff online, you have to scan it. Yeah. Um, like I have a Canon can of scan, uh, 8400F or something like that or whatever that will take, you know, film slides and, and can scan them large and, and then you can put that online. So it, that slows down the process a little bit or whatever. But if you don't mind being a little bit more hands on and, and, you know, and going through all that, then it can be fun. And, you know, that can lead you into something else that you do all the time, which is all your darkroom stuff, which people can really be into. Sure. And, you can get the gear for really cheap nowadays since not nearly as many people do that as, as they used to. Yeah. And um, that can be a whole different fun experience to, to go through. You know what might be worth talking about too? Let, let's say that you have no experience with a Holga. And yeah, you, you mentioned you need to know what you're getting into. Obviously, it's a film camera. It takes medium format film or 120 <clears throat> is the number. So you'll need to buy some film somewhere. Um, I usually get mine online. I found that the prices are really the best doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the stock is the best. So if you do go through B&H or Freestyle or any of those, even Amazon has film. Uh, but yeah, you'll need some 120 film, medium format. And uh, then once you shoot your pictures, you'll need to get it developed. So you can either go to a photo lab or you could do it yourself. If you don't know how to do it yourself and you're just getting into this, just take it to the lab. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you need a photo lab, I know not every city has them anymore that will do medium format. Uh, most people will still do 35. That's easier to, to deal with. But uh, you can do mail order processing and you can get, uh, what do they call them, self-return mailers from B&H even. And you go ahead and the prepaid mailers. So you prepay and they'll send you an envelope. And when you've shot your film, it's already paid for. You just put it in there and they'll process it and send it back. And then you need a scanner if you're not doing prints or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, scanners, you know, you can get into that fairly cheap too. I have not upgraded my scanner in a while and there are like cameras and everything else there are micro differences between scanners uh mine certainly does a good enough job i have no problem with it i can get good right. sharp images and so i've not seen a need to upgrade and i've got a uh, epson 40 hang on, 4870 which is that, those epsons are really good yeah. and the canon cano scans are really good for definitely the film scan both of those have from everyone I know have gotten really high reviews and I, yeah just like you said I've had mine forever so you could even buy an older film scanner yeah, you would use just fine and Nikon uh, makes some that are really nice uh, uh-huh. but you're getting into thousand bucks plus on those easily. yeah you can get us you can get a, one of these scanners we're talking about for like around a hundred dollars so well here's the other reason I've never spent a lot of money on it because if let's say that I ended up I just need to see my shots get them good enough to look online or print small you know print stuff if I had something that I really wanted to blow up uh, based on what I've seen and what let I've, the film house do it. Yeah, I'll take it somewhere and have a have a drum scan made. And yeah. drum scanners are real expensive, and I don't know how they fare up with with smaller scanners as far as quality goes. But you don't have to buy one. I mean, you can go uh, find somebody who will digitally scan it, and they'll do what's called a drum scan, which is a real fancy scanner. And I, I think it's about thirty bucks for a really big ass file. Uh, but if you were having doing a show or something, you wanted really large prints blown up. That's the way you'd want to go. Yeah, you'd want to take your film and have a a, a high res scan made there and then have them blow it up and print it i did some posters oh gosh this has been years but um and i seem to remember it being about 30 bones at the time for Mm -hmm. you know getting the scan done but uh but they look great i mean it's weird they come back really kind of flat and people who do imaging professionally kind of like that that's that's usually the starting point 
you know, and so it's like they leave you room to do some curves adjustments and, and levels adjustments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time I got it back, I'm like, oh, uh, these are going to require a lot of work. And then I realized, no, they want to leave you that option. But, uh, but yeah, you know, the other film, thinking about that, going back and thinking about that, the other fun thing that you can do with these toy cameras that you can't do, like with the, the digital version uh, of, you know, um, hipstamatics and stuff, mm-hmm. is um, like when you would take a photo and then you would not uh, adjust the film all the way to, to the next shot and then you would take another shot and you had had overlapping shots and you could do that times infinity or as long as the roll was or whatever you could have (laughs) two or three photos overlapping and that could be really cool um you could do double exposures you could you know take a shot keep it not not adjust up to the next uh yeah, don't wind the film just take another wind shot the film yeah it's like another shot and, and get some i've seen some really cool stuff even nowadays i was just in a photographer looking at a photography magazine the other day and there was some some shots done like that that were super cool uh, double exposure and then also the, through hoga mods you can order one that's already modified to take 35 millimeter film and just, instead of taking the two and a quarter square film and um that way you get the the the, the holes of the um the the reel of the film uh, in yeah, in, that's in cool the stuff. picture, which is a really cool effect, and you can do the same thing there. You can do the double exposures, or you can you can do the diptychs or triptychs or whatever by uh, yeah. Not now, I've got to go find them. I did this crazy project. This was oh gosh, two thousand four, two thousand five, somewhere there when I was getting into the Holga stuff, and uh-huh. yeah, I, I I just got some foam, you know, like packaging foam, and I uh-huh. you know padded it up so you could put thirty five millimeter in the camera. You, you've modified your own, but they yeah. can come modified. Yeah, right. But I mean, you don't need to do that. Just cram a right. bunch of foam in there and keep it on track. Anyway, so I remember this project that I did. I took the you know when you shoot over, it'll shoot over the sprocket holes, so you have imagery right. on the holes. Yeah, and I did a project where I took well, there was two projects I did at that time. They were both pretty cool. But each one of them was the same. You put 35 millimeter in there, and then you don't worry about how far you're winding. In fact, you kind of underwind it so each image fades into the next. You have a little right. bit of overlapping on the exposure. very cool. And looking. I filled up the entire dang roll. So I have this photo that's like, you know, four feet long by, you know, an inch high. And the other project I have, and we never finished it, and if anybody's interested, I would love to do this project with somebody. But, you know, email somebody on Flickr and say, hey, I've got an idea. You, you shoot Holga, I shoot Holga. You take the first roll and you go shoot the whole thing. You rewind it and then send it off, and then they have them double expose it. So yeah. you have this collaboration of two photographers exposing the same roll of film, but they're overexposed. And see what you get. I mean, the that whole thing is cool. experimental. And also, just are passing the same camera around. Yeah. I mean, it's cheap and never comes back around to you. Oh well, yeah, no loss, right? <laughs> You've lost twenty five bucks or something. But most of the time, if it's a group of photographers that all know each other, it's going to come back around. But have somebody take a shot. Uh, you know, roll it to the next shot and then um, send it to the next person. Yeah. And then just see what comes of that whole roll of film. That could be very cool. That's actually a really good idea. Especially if it was, especially if they were overlapping, like we're talking, if you didn't wind it exactly to the next, to the next one, you know, and it had all these pictures overlapping, that could be very cool. You know what? We should do that for the show. That'd be fun. If anybody out there has a Holga, send us an email Send me an email and tell me you're interested, and we'll we'll put it together. We'll, get it started. we'll report back. Yeah, we'll have yeah. we'll have the uh, the camera that passes around, and then yeah, and then we'll just um, develop the whole role at the end. And uh, I will say, when you start doing stuff like this, if you're using a photo lab, I remember when I took that 35 millimeter film that I I you know I said don't don't bother cutting it. <laughs> You won't. They thought right. it was nuts. They're like, "What have you done?" <laughs> no, but that's the cool part, though. I know. See, it's they were they were too snooty to, to dig. We're it. doing like panoramics like that, yeah. it, especially if they're not overlapping just right, because they're not going to, because you don't know exactly what you're what, where you're winding it to. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of and they're kind of just fading into each other in weird ways. And well, stuff like you know, that. one time I was trying to do that, and I was I was using a Holga, and the whole idea is that you take a photo, you rotate the camera. I can't remember. There's kind of a mathematical way you could do it. 30 degrees. You get a like a ball head for your tripod. Not a ball head, but a um, a tilt head so you can know how many degrees right. you're turning. But anyway, and then you wind the film a little bit, and you can kind of start to line up a panorama shot. And some people have gotten really good at this. And I remember the first time I tried it, I went, I went the wrong way tilting. I went right to left instead of left to right. <laughs> but the effects were so cool, I didn't care. Because like, you have these weird parts of the image that like repeat themselves. And it looks like somebody you know, went nuts with a cloning tool in Photoshop or something. And these weird like fake you know, psychedelic panoramic 
pictures that you can do. Homes are so much fun. What's so great about it too is um, in a world where everything is – in the photography world where everything is about perfection, the -hmm. perfect sharpness, the perfect exposure, the perfect alignment, the perfect everything. Right. um, Starting out with this or even even if you've been shooting for a while but you've never done this, takes you back to to experimenting, which is where you can really get creative and even let you think about that with your other work. Like, okay, if I'm messing up here and it's coming out cool, what can I maybe do in my other work that, you know, it can use these same techniques or that I can purposely mess up stuff or just get creative and experiment and, and see where things can come out. And, um, that can really loosen up what you're doing and, and just take you somewhere else really cool. You know? Actually, I think what you're saying is a really good point. I, I, I keep preaching. I mean, I, I love Photoshop. I love working digitally. I love being able to archive all my images. I have them to email in an instant, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you're right. It's like you have so much finite control, and the computer really takes away all the tactile you don't touch anything. You never hold a negative. You never hold a print. You know, you don't look at things the same way Mm -hmm. and it's not a bad thing, but there's something you really are missing when you take all that out of the equation. And that's one of the reasons I really like to do darkroom stuff because I'm on a computer all day. Anyway, I don't want to do that more at night usually. And if I'm experimenting or having fun with something, sometimes it's fun to, you know, vary it up. And I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think that if you're a photographer who pretty much lives on computer screen, Shake that up. I mean, get out of it. See what it does for you. I mean, you'll be surprised. Right. The variety is just nice. Yeah, get into it cheap. Go buy a whole gun, I mean, a roll of film for under $20. After the developing, you're up 25 bucks or something like that, and you're done. I mean, you know. Yeah. Experiment. It's worth it. In fact, even if you have to pay more, it's still worth it, you know. Yeah. There's just so much experimenting you can do there, and it's just a very creative process. And especially if you're in a rut, it can uh, it can be something that can help you get out of a rut very cheaply. No so, question. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, going back to the flash bus thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, real quick, uh, there were two things that he brought up. Um, uh, David Hobby brought up at, at the first of the show um, that I that I wrote down that I thought were kind of cool that I wanted to kind of mention on here. So I had uh, I had marked them. One is that he has started a long term project that to uh, he or uh, just like us uh, and just as like a freelancer. If you do this full time or if you just do this for fun, we all have short term projects that we're always working on here or there. If somebody gives us a call, you know, we're doing something that day or next week or whatever. But uh, he was mentioning how important it is to have a long-term project of some kind on the horizon to think of something um, that really interests you that you want to do and start pursuing it and have a long-term you know focus on on doing it a year or two years or 10 years or whatever and he had he's done something called hoco 360 he's taken uh, the county that he lives in and he started documenting it and he started turning that into a blog which i think is hoco h-o-c-o 360.com and um and his, the long-term outcome is to almost make like a stock site. Uh, it's, it, it's a blog and like an editorial blog that's just local to his community. But in the end, it'll almost be like a stock archive of the entire county that he lives in, which he hopes in five to ten years or whatever. Uh, if somebody needs a shot of anything that has to do with anything in that whole county, he will be – the man, the reference point. Yeah, that so, was a cool looking I project. Was a cool idea, and he was saying, "Do this in your city, in your county, in your area, in your state." Have you and been to the site? I haven't been yet. Uh, check it out, dude. I mean, you, you really saw cool. most I'm of it. I'm sure it's cool. I saw, yeah, well, yeah, he when sh- he showed it. But it, it's, I mean, so well done. I mean, his whole deal is like, okay, you know, why work for? peanuts from these uh, you know editorial companies and newspapers and stuff like that you know I'll go ahead and do that myself and it's interesting because what he does is what I really liked about this is it's one thing and I'm guilty of this more than anybody probably but you come up with kind of this dorky photography project and it's so photography based but what I liked about his project is it's editorial based so he gets out he meets people who do weird different things mm-hmm. like a guy who makes tacos at a gas station or an opera singer that he did this photo of and like writes about him as well so he really gets to tell a story on here and different stories which is really fun which a lot of us really enjoy doing too even if we're not writers I know you and I like writing about stuff we shoot you know as well even though we might not be great at it it's still really fun well and it has an appeal outside the photography circles and most of what i do is appealing directly to photography circles right uh, i was very impressed with that he did an awesome job yeah that was super cool 
and and, and, it, and it frees you up to kind of like uh, do what a lot of us want to do, which is work with interesting subjects, find interesting people, uh, be able to photograph and see things we normally wouldn't be able to get to, um, and and you're not having to work for anybody to do it. Right. Um, and, and finally, you know, he says, well, at first he's not working for anybody in particular, but as people come to know this site, as as time goes on and years go by, then he can finally say, I'm David Hobby with Hoco 360, and they'll say, well, come right on in you know because yeah. it will be uh something that in that community in that county it's like if you want to know about something or you want to know there's a great picture of, of a particular location or something that'll be the site to go to i just thought overall it was a really cool idea that um no anybody question. could do no matter where you no matter where you live yeah uh, just just dig in you know yeah and the other cool thing that he that he brought up was um, that we've talked about we've we've talked about doing personal projects and stuff like that a lot before. But the the one thing that he said that I think that we can all keep in mind when we get in a rut or we don't know what to photograph next, this seems to be something that a lot of people seem to deal with a lot a lot uh, as photographers. What, you know, what do I do next? I kind of am stuck or whatever. And he he said, "What's the most interesting thing that I can photograph next week?" Um, mm, yeah, that was think, a good, think, good quote. Think about what that might be or what you would really love to photograph. And we've said this before. What would you like to photograph? If you could be any kind of photographer in the world, uh, what would you like to photograph? So, and, and, and go ahead and start photographing that now. And, and just a good, easy thing for me to think of off the top of my head is a ton of people would love to be a professional um, music band photographer at some point, whether that's shooting live concerts or whether that's actually like shooting bands for uh, for CD covers and things like this, posters, whatever. Uh, there's a lot of people that like to work in that genre, but they're like, well, where do you start? Well, that's one of the kind of the easy ones. It's like, okay, start going out for free next week, this week, this weekend, and finding some some cool acts going on in, in your area, whether you live in a small town or a big city, and you can find a way to get in there, and you can usually find a way to get a camera in there. Uh, I shot a band, the, uh, the Civil Wars, a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't actually get into the venue, so I shot it from the sidewalk outside through the windows the whole time and got, <laughs> some, and got some shots I loved That's cool. from it or whatever. Um, and, but you can start building a portfolio from that, and that could be uh, you know, almost anything you could think of, really. I think the other key that he said in there too was was figure out what you want to shoot next week, and then this week figure out how you're going to make it happen next week. That's right, because that's the key. Is unless you have a plan of action, I do this all the time. I have a zillion things I want to shoot, but I haven't mm-hmm. done it yet, and they keep getting put off because real life intervenes and you have responsibilities and things to do. And mm-hmm. but if you start planning now, I mean, yeah, I can't go out and shoot a band tonight, but uh, you know, I can spend ten minutes trying to figure out, look through the local news and see who's playing and who sounds interesting plan to call them tomorrow say if it's cool if i come out and shoot you know yeah. start start working on it now to make it happen next week i it's promise the, you there's a way to shoot I, if you're into anything uh if you i don't know airplanes if you were into airplanes and you want to start an archive or or whatever you want to eventually become a, the professional airplane shooter you you could you could find a way to find contacts to call people to get into hangars to get out onto the you know uh these personal small well, airports. If you're going to shoot this professionally, you're going to have ways. Well, and you're going to have to do all that stuff anyway if you have a job. So you right. might as well practice it now. I mean, you're going to have to plan right. your location. You got to call ahead. You've got to you know figure out how many people are involved. There's all these things to do. You're doing it on a free scale when you're doing it for fun. But but you're still going to have to go through those motions anyway. So you might as well learn how to pick up the phone now and call somebody and say, "Is it cool if I could shoot in the airplane hangar or whatever it is?" No one's ever going to hire you to shoot anything professionally that you really haven't ever shot before, unless it's like your aunt or uncle and they want to pay nothing for you to shoot their wedding or something of their kid or whatever. Well, and, and, and nobody ever does the footwork for you either. I mean, that's going to be up to you. you know? Right. But like you never really can become a product photographer and actually have someone hire you for any kind of decent amount of money or whatever, unless you have shot probably a lot of product and stuff on your own for free at home and kind of mastered that and have built a portfolio of some sort that they go to and, and see. Right. Is and, that your uh, dog? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We try to keep this professional. But uh, my cat's uh, about to tell me it's dinner my, time, but you know. yeah. yeah, my dogs just go totally nuts and uh, start barking. Well, you know, along those lines, I mean, we had we had a couple questions, and we probably don't have enough time to hit them all today. And, and by the way, people, if you sent questions in, we're not ignoring you. Sometimes we just don't get to it right away. Yeah, you know, but uh, you want to you want to fast version. We're doing we have maybe about ten minutes or so. Yeah, something like that. You want to do? Uh, we want to do one. Yeah. All right. 
We'll do one. This is the oldest one we've got in here, and I feel yes, bad. So it's the it's the guilt. Yeah, this is uh, Matthew Devine, and I don't know where Matthew's from. I don't know if we should read people's last names on here or not. Maybe people will stalk them or something. Matt D. Matt D. Matt <laughs> yeah. D. Pretend you didn't hear me say that. Uh, yeah. Uh, last Sorry. name? I don't know. They still well, they don't know where he's from, so. No, uh, but he's about to say where he's from. I'm an amateur photographer from Canada. Yep. We'll just say he's Canadian. Okay. And he has a question for us. Uh, I have been recently, or excuse me, I have recently been getting questions and comments about my pictures and in particular the processing that I have used. Some people seem to hold the view that if someone uses Photoshop or a similar tool to make adjustments to the picture, a photographer is somehow not being authentic and they perceive the image to be of lesser quality. Uh, since I am shooting in RAW, I understand how some processing is required for most pictures. Uh, while I take the time to explain that I have done... Uh, I've done to the images and why I get the feeling they walk still holding the belief that I have cheated somehow. I am interested to hear your thoughts on this matter and learn to what you do to help educate people and challenge you on your images. Keep up the good work, Matthew. Well, Matthew, um, yeah, I mean, you brought up the first point there that if you're shooting digital and you're shooting raw, you're going to have to have some, some processing, uh, involved. Mm -hmm. And you know, here's the deal. Everything, these are all tools. And first of all, what he's saying, if people are like kind of badgering him about his post-processing, uh, that's a very antiquated, um, concept. I think, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, wartime photojournalists from the, you know, thirties and forties who, who were like, you know, didn't believe in cropping in the dark room or, you know, it had to be pure. And, you know, I, I, I think personally I hold some of that. I mean, I'm not a big cropper. I like to get it in camera. I like to get as much in the camera as I can, but you're never going right. to get everything. And I, the other thing, and I've not looked at Matt's work, but, uh, you know, sometimes people definitely get into over-processing their images. And I don't think it's cheating. I just think it's kind of unnecessary and, and gets to be a little gaudy looking at times. Yeah. I mean, ha- having cheated, I mean, I don't know how you, what's a scenario where you could possibly cheat in Photoshop. Yeah, maybe if you crop way in and it's pixelated because it's so big and, and you've painted over the background to smooth it out. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's cheating. But uh, The only place that I know that processing is a huge no-no as far as like – um, is editorial. Uh, I mean, it's supposed yes, to pretty I'm much be kind of right out of the camera. The only things in editorial photojournalism that are really um, okay are like, you know, contrast, a little uh, things to balance out the color or cropping, things like this or whatever. But never is it allowed for you to stick something in the photograph or modify something in such a way that it wasn't what was actually going on there in that in that way and then the other thing that i think is a huge no-no which is kind of what we were talking about when we were talking about hdr is when you've over processed something so much that everyone who looks at that photo can tell instantly that you've done a lot of processing to it and i think that in general that's a huge turnoff to the photography community well, it, it's a painting. It's not a photo anymore, you know. Right. It, it's like you were saying when you – it's like when you've applied one of those Photoshop, um, you know, uh, filters and right. uh, that's, that's converted it into something almost besides a photograph. That can be kind of gross. But now you see stuff like in CA – uh, communication art which is oh, yeah, a top you do. of the line magazine that of the photography award winners every year where I've, a scene has obviously been professionally uh photoshopped to uh, i mean maybe days hour i mean you know a week of photoshopping time has been spent because a a, a man has been put in a scene in a field with uh, these clouds that are amazing and there's a castle in the background i don't know and i think that is kind of okay and almost shows off your skills to a point like wow look what this guy can can bring together and make happen um yeah that's a good point and there there will be professional shoots that people do in fact um Oh, there was kind of one that Annie Leibowitz did a couple of years ago for, uh, oh, Lavazza Coffee, I believe. Anyway, it was a calendar she was shooting, and, and they really had to be Photoshopped. Or, or you might have you know a client that says, we want our CEO shot, but he needs to be in that field or whatever, but you can't mm-hmm. actually shoot him in the field. So you know there is some construction going on there. Um, but it is interesting you mentioned the, the photojournalism point, and it is really important, and I'm a firm believer in this too, that, that yeah, you are – if you alter the truth in something that's supposed to be just delivering news, so mm-hmm. in photo, photojournalism, that that uh, yeah, I have an ethical problem with that too. There was, in fact, I can't remember what magazine it was. It was a major profile magazine. I, I put a blog posting in the uh, of the other podcast in the blog on the website. 
at one point, and you know, it was a major publication. Their art director and vice president had both okayed it. And what it was, I don't remember the story specifically, but it was a photo of, of uh, Barack Obama. And he was in front of the – there was an oil tanker in the background, and he had this, this look that he was deep in thought, maybe even depressed about a situation, like what was he going to do about it. And they'd done an illustration basically with photos, which I have a big problem with. Use an illustrator if you're going to do that because people see that, and the perception is, is that that was actually happening. That was the truth. And it wasn't. Uh, they showed the shots that, that were used to, to make that happen. And uh, basically he was leaning down listening to an assistant, and there wasn't an oil derrick in the background, and they had – created this thing and basically first of all you're putting words into the president's mind which which you know that didn't happen i mean you're really creating a world that doesn't exist there was another well in a major publication like that that can bring a major publication to its knees because no longer can people uh, believe what that publication says yeah and it's it's no different than a writer making up the story really Mm -hmm. yeah because that that photo is supposed to show you what is going on you know so that was a huge that that was a big debacle well and there was a story recently where uh i think this was dallas morning news but it made national headlines and they had bought the image from getty or something like that and getty i don't know if they had threatened legal action but they had dropped the photographer who supplied the image and it was a it was an image of uh, a golfer i i wish i was more prepared because these are really interesting things to go through but anyway the golfer and, and they had basically put somebody cheering in the background and taken somebody else out and there was this big debate you know, on, on the internets, and people were saying, "Well, that that didn't seem like that was really lying." Yeah, but if you if you start allowing that once, where do you draw the line? And it's mm-hmm. one thing to make level adjustments, corrections, uh, even color shifts, things like that 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 you're correcting, uh, but it's another thing to make up what actually happened in the image. And I think that's what what people are referring to now. Matthew's original question was, is "How do we get to educating people?" And like I said, I haven't actually looked at Matthew's work, so I don't know um, what we're talking about here. But um, you can do one of two things: uh, you could just Tell them what you did in Photoshop, and if they have a problem with it, <laughs> sorry. Or you can do yes. what I do, and I really just don't respond much to that because it's like <laughs> – well, and, and, and it's not to be rude. And it I depends mean, on what kind of photographer you are. If you're an art photographer, yeah. you can get away with doing a lot of manipulation. Um, if you're another kind of – any other kind of photographer, I think that you – we all do a lot of manipulating in different ways, but I think the end product doesn't need to look – uh, really manipulated. It no. needs to, people need to look at it and focus on the photo, and not not focus on how much manipulation has been happened to this photo. I think if people can really instantly tell a lot of manipulation has gone on there, then there might be a problem. Well, but, you, but I think we're getting into the the. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, there could be a problem that you've just gotten something that's awfully gaudy, but if they don't like it, then don't look at it. Um, you know. But the other issue that I have with that, I think I have email. Did you hear that? <laughs> anyway, but the other problem with that, and this is where I draw the line because it's like a lot of times people want to replicate your technique. And I, like I said, I don't do this to be rude or inconsiderate. But, you know, if I sit here and tell you how I did something and go through all the motions, and it's one thing if it's, it's tutorial worthy, I'm happy to share. Mm-hmm. But other times it's like this isn't going to work in the same setting somewhere else. or I, you know, And usually those questions are more like, wow, what lens did you use? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know. Yeah, it was his eighty-five millimeter. What you know? <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there's certain effects that we all want to learn how to do that other photographers do, and you know that are going to be common knowledge, depth of field things, and stuff like that, or whatever. Or maybe certain manipulations, but yeah, if you have a certain style, maybe you don't uh, of a process that you particularly go through. That's um, you know, kind of a deep process. You may not feel comfortable sharing that with with everybody because right. that's what makes your photos look like your photos. You know, and well, I can totally maybe, maybe feel I'm being that. a jerk by not no. you know replying, but it's kind of like eh, you know. And usually, and let me be more specific. If somebody asks a technique of how something was done, that's one thing, and I don't mind answering that. But but <laughs> usually, it's the what camera was this, and you get that on Flickr a lot. I used to put the camera in the metadata. And I stopped doing that because it's like it doesn't matter, you know. Somebody's yeah, people like, really kind of focus on the wrong things and, and ask the wrong questions when it comes yeah, to that. They'll leave comments like, "Boy, your Roliflex takes great photos," and it's like, right. It, it doesn't take. I took the no, photo. No, it doesn't. It just sits on that shelf until I pick it up and do something with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which <laughs> not you like know. it gets up. Not like it gets up in the night while you're sleeping. Well, and I guess there's no reason to be bitter about that. I mean, somebody liked the photo, I have to comment on it. But anyway, but, but I guess my point with is that question. Yeah, uh, yeah go ahead. It's, it's well, it sounds like people are badgering about something, and so you know. I, I, it depends on what how you want to answer. If you want to spend time educating about, you know, 
if they you're guilty of the Photoshop crime. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's uh, I, you know, it, I think it's like ever we're all going to do a lot of editing. If you if you're really looking at look at all your images, if you're over processing them and they look unrealistic, you might want to dial that back a little bit and do a little right. less processing. We're all going to do a lot of tweaking. I do a lot of when when my photos after I take them, I take them into Lightroom, I do some editing in there, and then I take them into Photoshop and I do some more editing in there. But when the final product comes out, I want I don't want it to look like I did a lot of editing. I right. want people to look at that and think that's how the, the the photo looked coming right out of the camera, and that's that's nice looking. But right. if you if you actually saw, even if I'm uh, editing a portrait, someone's face, I'll take sometimes the 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 photo that came right out of the camera, which was dark and not very contrasty, and there uh, before all the wrinkles and and things were removed and then afterwards where the it's nice contrast and bright whites and I've whitened their teeth and I've taken off pimples and and I like to go back and forth and go oh my gosh look at this uh, it, but the person that's just seen the final photo they think that's what came right out of the camera you yeah. know and they're not thinking about the processing there so in that case go to town just yeah. uh yeah, just don't let well, people. Well, some of it too. It sounds like it, 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 like the scenario you're talking about, where if you you might want to tone it back a little bit. Some of that is just kind of your maturity as a photographer. And you know, I know when I started out, and you're learning Photoshop techniques, like you're learning how to burn something to give some more accent to it, or dodge, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or create a vignette. And I mean, yeah, sometimes we all get heavy with this stuff. But I remember, especially early on, sometimes what you want is a really subtle deal, and you're not going to totally. notice. I think subtle is the perfect word there for. Everything. Well, and, and if you're younger as a photographer, sometimes it's easy to go in. Well, you can't tell the difference. I better bump it up so it's real obvious. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, sometimes it's very, very subtle. And, you know, some of that is just getting older, becoming more mature, being used to looking at your own work, being able to uh, have faith and trust in your own skills and what you were able to get inside the camera. I'm not a big Photoshopper. Um, I, I'm a big curves adjustment guy, levels adjustment. Sometimes I'll go to town on things. But, I mean, it's just... In but general, I try to. Vignetting's a great example. A lot of us throw vignettes into certain photos, but we might sure. do it in such a subtle way that the the person really doesn't know if that was an effect that was done in camera or after right. the shot or whatever. And that's what you really want them to know. If your vignetting is done in such a way that the person, the person, any person, uh, can go, I know that was done after he took the photo. Then that's. You, then you probably need to dial it yeah, back. Yeah, it's just too heavy. Yeah, you're going too far with it. If you're not familiar with vignetting, is it's basically, uh, oh, it's the mimic of a bad lens effect that you get where uh, the the coverage doesn't quite cover the the film or the or the uh, film. The sensor. darkening, the darkening of the edges. Yeah, it's a, like it's a circle around circular your, darkening of the edge. Yeah, right. They can be used a lot of times to bring the focus in to a certain part of the photo. Oh, sure, and it can be used to great effect. But it uh, comes from uh, going back to tying into the first of the podcast, the, like whole gun Diana lenses. Yeah. Plastic cheap lenses that um, would a lot of times vignette very badly, and people uh, after you know you so you'd have this dark ring uh, around the the edges uh, of the photo, but people would be like, "That's kind of cool," and it draws your eye in. So now on pristine digital photos, sometimes we we bring that effect in subtly, you know, uh, or we try to make it subtle so that um so that we get that same effect from a pristine lens that's that's not going to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool, man. Good stuff. All right. I think we've hit gone <laughs> over the hour mark. <laughs> do we have picks this week or are we uh Um I've got a couple. I'll, I'll hit real quick. I really don't um, have much, but well my pick this let me do mine. It's it's quick. Uh okay. I picked the flash bus. Go. <laughs> you like that? I think that I, like it. I think that's yeah, been so, your so pick. put a link to the flash bus if you can and then uh, Strobist and um and Joe McNally's site, just so yeah. if anybody's not familiar with these things, they can hit all those. And and, and if you if you're not in a city or near a city that that they're going to, I mean, you know, here's the deal: just just go check out what you can. I mean, Strobist has a lot of stuff online. That's David Hobby's site, and mm-hmm. uh, Joe McNally does too. He's got books available, DVDs, etc. Just explore on your own. Uh, but the Strobist stuff is an 
excellent free resource. So, oh, know. also, Joe McNally is constantly on Kelby Training, which is online. Yeah, Kelby, he does a lot of stuff with them. KelbyTraining.com, and he does all kinds of tutorials. They're, they're about an hour long each. So if you subscribe to Kelby Training, I think it's like $25 a month. You can Every month he does like a new video, he and tons of other photographers. So you can get – I, I can't recommend that site enough. I watch that all the time. For um, You know, another thing too is if you're going to go to the Flash Bus, and Wade was talking about this earlier, it tends to be a bit of a brain dump. I mean any kind of seminar like this. What they're going right, to do is, is – one day. Yeah, they're going to bombard you with information because, you know, they only have one day. So right. definitely uh, be prepared to take notes. Um, yeah. That's very cool and very key. So Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other two things, I gave a presentation uh, last week or the week before for the first time oh, really yeah. ever in my professional photography career, and it was an hour presentation, and I'd never put together like a slideshow for that kind of thing, and I put it together in Keynote. Um, which I had never used before, and I know tons of people already know what Keynote is and use it for presentations or whatever, but all I knew in the past was kind of PowerPoint, and I always, I've always, i never liked PowerPoint, uh, and Keynote was just – if you're used to using the Mac stuff all, anyway, like iPhoto and, and iTunes and all these kind of things, it fits in right with all of them, and it utilizes all of them, and it, it's the same basic functions. Um, so it was just super easy for me to really not even read the manual or anything. Open Keynote, start importing photos, putting uh, easy, nice little subtle transitions in between them sure. and things like this. And pretty soon in a couple of days, I had an awesome hour-long presentation of photos with some you know text flying in and out and things like that or whatever. But So I really h- highly recommend Keynote if you're a photographer, you're putting together any kind of presentation. Or not a photographer, but you're putting together a really nice presentation. It's just uh, – uh, and you work on a Mac and are used to that kind of thing. It's it's really fun and, and easy to use. Yeah, I'd have to second um, Keynote. It, it, it's amazingly awesome. Yeah, you've put together a couple of presentations in that as well. I'm oh, sure. many, many, many. Um, yeah. The, the other thing that's kind of cool, and I don't mean to drift too far off the photography subject, but uh, if you're an iPad user, um, Keynote for the iPad is is a very, very interesting experiment, I think, because of the way you build slides and the whole touch interface and being able to grab and move stuff around with your hands. Um, typically, uh, it's hard to get real granular with the detail, like you're limited on your font selection, things like that. So mm-hmm. I will start things on the iPad and kind of outline them, and then I'll I'll bring that file over to the computer and finish it from there. But yeah, I really love Keynote. It's, uh, yeah, uh, the- Keynote has a lot of different templates for you to choose from, whether you want something to be kind of classic or really modern or whatever. It has. It, um, I, I compare it to kind of the stuff that's like an iMovie or something like that. It has some good templates to start off with that you can um, later modify more yourself if you want to. But I just kind of used the modern uh, portfolio template that was there for my stuff, and, and it worked. So, yeah, done. Um, so, yeah, done. Makes it easy for you. It has good fonts to start with and everything. So, um yeah. Yeah, and the Keynote also has some other options too if you are a photographer. Like if you want to put a presentation online, you can record live audio and you can export the yes. whole thing as a movie. I mean, it's got some really cool stuff in that there. That was another cool thing. And I, and I didn't do that, of course, because I just showed the whole thing. But if I wanted to um, compress it all into a QuickTime video and then email that or upload it to an FTP site or whatever and share it with somebody in some other way, you can do that at the end, which a lot of other presentation um, software you can't. So that's, that's definitely a. A cool feature. Yeah, I've used that before actually when I've taught uh, community college classes online where there's yeah. no physical class. It's a mm-hmm. huge help. It's it's awesome yeah. if you're trying to make points and stuff. So Yeah, awesome and then page. I just wanted to share that the book I picked up last week that I've been reading lately, I don't really like the title of this book because it's not really how the book is written. Or Wait, feels, let me guess. Digital like, Photography 101? No. <laughs> oh, okay. just, was, but I, I may tried. have picked it up somewhere around that section. Um, it's called The Fast Track Photographer. I think there was a book called The Fast Track Photographer to begin with, and this one's called The Fast Track Photographer Business Plan. Build a successful photography venture from the ground up. That sounds That's janky, dude. I know. I don't like that fast track part, but the part <laughs> that I do like and how the book is written is this the, the subtitle, which is Build a Successful Photography Venture from the Ground Up. And that's why I think I, gr- I grabbed the book, had a really good intro, and um, it, it, it's all about um, – Starting out from day one, if you are interested in in starting, you know, you've been a, a doing this as a hobby for a long time or whatever. Now you're ready to set out and and do this professionally. Kind of where do you start and and where do you go in your first few weeks to the first year or whatever? This book kind of covers it. 
Um, and um, and even though I've been doing this two and a half years, there's just all kinds of great uh, business model stuff in here uh, that, that that it covers and and just good pointers on you know things you can be focusing on that you might not be that can make your business run a little smoother because. We all know that not all of us photographers are the best business people in the world, and we didn't all major in business. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we can use some help. So that's a cool book. Um, that, yeah, here, you know that Fast Track, Todd. I can just see the editor. Oh, I don't think this is going to sell building a photographer. How about Fast Track? I know. So everybody that, can go like, pro instantly. Like. Yeah, that's why I wanted to point that out. I don't like that Fast Track thing because there is no Fast Track. I promise you that. No, in, no fact, <laughs> in fact, in fact, photography is a hard the business. The photographer's business plan. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a much better title. And, well, and it's uh, any, anybody, who, I mean, you and any other professional listens to the show. It's like, you know, it, photography is a really tough business right now in the econ- economic situation sure. that we're in. And there's in. no fast track to, no, to get uh-uh. to the successful part of it. You've got to figure things out. You got to find a niche. You got to make contacts. You got to be a good businessman. You got to be frugal. You got, I mean, there's a billion things. That sounds like a cool book though. Uh, yeah. And you have to be super the title. patient. You have to be super patient. Yeah. yeah. But you know, fast track that sells. Oh yeah. Because well, and there is kind of a whole there's cult. All, there's all those books out there that are like uh, how to become a great photographer by next week. Well, and unfortunately, <laughs> they're trying to sell you stuff. I mean, there's a whole cult of people out there that are selling this dream of going pro and you know, or there's people yeah. I've met that that go are ready to go pro and it's like do you really want to go pro? You're terrible at business, you're terrible, <laughs> man. You know. Your photos still stink, still stink. <laughs> your photos yeah. need work. <laughs> I don't want to go pro yet. <laughs> uh cool. Well, should we wrap it up? Yeah. All right. Well, cool episode. This has been a yeah. good one. Yeah. We never plan, and uh, that seems to work. Yeah. When we stopped planning, they flow. Yeah. So now we watch. Never... We'll, we'll start to get the comments. I know. Y'all really need to plan. These last couple have really sucked. These, these boneheads just jibber-jabber about yeah, everything. I look drifting all over the place. And uh, that, a, that, Ted guy, <laughs> that Ted guy's accent starts getting kind of Texas-y when he's hanging out with Wade. <laughs> Dang, no one ain't that the truth. Oh my! All right, it's uh, it's time to get some food. All right, all right. Once again, this is the photography (laughs) show. Thanks for listening. Oh yeah.